think I'm doing those eyes. <laughs> I think I'm in love. It was terrifying. The pain, the, the fear of being eaten. I was drowning at the same time. I just accepted that I was going to die. Was there a bit of fandom for you when it came on? Oh, you huge. And I did not try to hide. <laughs> did not try to hide at all. Out of the Box with Serge Negus on FBI. anything she played you can head to fbiradio.com to catch up on mornings or any other program here on fbi now the idea that art can break down social barriers and bring about real and positive social change is real pretty much undeniable right and my guest on out of the box today is someone who has made it his mantra basically to go about doing this proving that words music and pictures can make really a difference in a single day. His name is Ian Kedeku and he's a Canadian poet and multimedia artist and he's here in Australia for a few weeks to check out the Australian Poetry Slam which is on this weekend. Ian himself is the 2010 World Poetry Slam champion. Mate, thanks for coming on Out of the Vox. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Now, look, you got to tell us a little bit about your, your history and your upbringing because you were born in Calgary but your parents came from Ghana. Right. So what's their story? Tell us about it. Yeah, so my parents uh, immigrated to Ghana uh, about 35 years ago, or immigrated from Ghana about 35 years ago to Calgary, Alberta, which is in Western Canada. And it's been a really cool experience, very interesting sort of growing up in both places in that I was born in Calgary, but uh, for a few years in the 90s, we grew up as children in Ghana, West Africa. And I think that's the case for a lot of Canadians as well, whereby first generation, second generation uh, children of immigrants come to the country and they're sort of raised by two different cultures, one being the Eurocentric Canadian culture and one being the culture through which their parents uh, are from. So that was a, a really great experience in terms of being raised by different ideas, uh, philosophies, practices, but at the same time being able to see both cultures from an outsider perspective. When I go to Ghana, they realize that I'm a foreigner. And when I'm in Canada, obviously, uh, the question always is, where are you from? As though you're not from here. And so People like myself, first generation, second generation, always live in this dichotomy of balancing between these two worlds. Uh, so it was really cool. Is that hard to do, doing, doing that balancing act, or is it easy? Y you know, in hindsight, you might think it's difficult, but uh, we survive regardless. I, I think immigrants have a wonderful ability for resilience and for determination and being able to navigate and uh, assimilate to the places that they are in. So yes, there's racism in Canada. Yes, there's discrimination. But at the same time, the teachings of our parents, the teachings of our ancestors have told us to stay strong, to be proud of who we are, and to move forward in the world using the lessons from the past. And in a way, I guess you get to use the cultural capital that you've gained from both sides to just 
push things in a whole nother way for the next generations, right? That's what we're trying to do. In Ghana, there's a, a saying, a proverb, a, uh, a symbol, and it's a bird reaching back with its beak. And the bird has an egg on the back of its back. And so it's reaching back to grab the egg with its beak. And the proverb is, you'll never know where you're going if you don't know where you've been. You always have to look back to feed yourself for the future. And so I try as much as I can to use that uh, when I'm doing my art, when I'm engaging with other people, to realize that, yes, there's a way to uh, criticize and critique and stand up and against injustices in the world. But some of the answers come from looking back from where we're from. It's a beautiful way to check it out, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, for you, obviously, incredibly creative person. Was was the rest of your family creative or? In Ghana in particular, art and culture is not necessarily seen as a vocation or wasn't necessarily seen as a vocation. Of course, my parents uh, wanted me, you know, Ian, you should be a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer. <laughs> of course. Uh, but uh, I'm a poet. and uh, And so... They have questions about that. Mm. And I try to remind them and remind myself, really, that African culture is rooted in arts. Uh, if we're talking about the town crier or if we're talking about the role of the queen mother or the chief of a particular village, they're using spoken word and oftentimes in proverb, in creative language, in order to reflect the society that's happening, in order to progress the community forward. And so I think it's a natural progression of uh, my ancestral history uh, to where I am today. For sure. And I guess when was it that you as a, as a child discovered words? Well, every day after school, we would come home around 3.30 and my parents would allow us to watch maybe 30 minutes of programming. Uh, maybe we'd be allowed to go outside and play for an hour or two. After each one of those excursions or watching something on television, my parents would force me, hey, hey Ian, Okay, now that you have finished watching the Ninja Turtles, now you have to write for us an essay about what you saw at the Ninja Turtles TV show. So it nice. came to a point where I didn't even want to uh, watch television anymore because I'd have to write a freaking essay about it. <laughs> it's like reverse psychology. Exactly. That's perfect. Uh, but that's sort of where I gained my uh, love of language, my love of words. Uh, and of course, hip-hop had a huge influence on myself. The way that uh, rappers and singers and artists were able to play with words, were able to uh, conjure up new realities, almost creating spells and, and magic with just using language. I think it was really beautiful. Who were some of your inspirations in that regards? Definitely Bone Thugs and Harmony. Uh, you know, if it comes to the question of Biggie and Tupac, I was a Biggie fan, but definitely appreciated the passion of Tupac. Uh, I grew up on a lot of Talib Kweli, Most Def, Common, Erica Badu. Nice. I mean, the list goes on forever. Uh, but the way that these artists were able to speak about injustices going on around that time, were able to project themselves into the future, uh, was definitely inspiration for me and uh, how I became involved with poetry and words so in that regards then onto the music who are you going to play for us first today uh we were talking about ghana uh so shout out to uh all my uh ghanaian massive in uh australia nice. we're going to start it off with uh mr easy uh featuring tiwa this song is called skin tight <laughs> 
It's your boy easy.
yours, baby. You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus, and my guest today is Canadian multimedia artist and poet Ian Kateku. Now, you've said you identify strongly with the 21st century Afrofuturist movement in the vein of Erica Badu and Janelle Monet. Now, this is definitely a new term. It's not something I or probably 90% of our audience have heard before. So what, what exactly is it? So, I mean, it's been called a number of things a number of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it was coined, uh, I think, early 90s. Uh, and for me personally, it's m- less of a ideology and more of a way of living. There's more of a philosophy to sort of guide my art and uh, the art that I'm inspired by. So it's the idea of putting uh, people of Afri- African descent and projecting them into a future. Now, with the advent of uh, all these technological advances, what does the future look like for people of color? Does there still exist the same kind of racism? If so, uh, what does it look like? How are we using technology to better ourselves? How do black people exist within a technological uh, sphere? If we're traveling, beyond our worldly realms, what does that look like? Who is doing this space travel? Also the idea of the fact that perhaps we are not from this planet originally. Perhaps we are from a different planet. Uh, and okay. so we're through Afrofuturism, we're, we're able to explore different realities for uh, what people of color, particularly people of African descent, uh, may live in, in in the future. So for me, it's a really promising idea because right now, presently, uh, particularly in Europe, North America, uh, people of, of African descent are going through a interesting time in that we have to fight for uh, respect on a human level. We have to fight for everything such as wage, education, health, uh, have, to, have to fight for, to stop being killed uh, in, in some circumstances. And so projecting into the future, we're able to imagine a world uh, which we can live in comfortably. Uh, and maybe it's not comfortable. Maybe it's still a bit filled with turmoil, but at the same time, we are in power of what that future looks like. So it's basically a way for you to be able to envisage and I guess manifest a future that is better than the current one, right? Absolutely. And you know, at the same time, when, we, when we're talking about the future, we're also talking about now. And we're talking about the life that we can envision for ourselves and for others around right now. So it's not just a a magical, fantastical ideology. It's also a practical one which can be uh, utilized today. Totally. And I guess it's like being able to put the structures in place in your life and the people's around you to be able to actually make sure that that safer environment does exist, right? Exactly. It's a, it's a really nice way to look at it because it's, it's purely positive, yeah? In many ways, like you're using the negative to create a positive for yourself and those around you, yeah? I agree. And at the same time, it can also be representative of what society looks like today. So just moving it forward. Mm. Uh, so, you know, just because 
the latest iPhone is out doesn't mean that racism stops. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just because we'll be able to uh, have microchips in the back of our iris uh, doesn't mean that uh, police violence against black people will necessarily stop. But it does allow for us to conjure up new ways to deal with these issues yeah, for sure. Totally. And I mean, in terms of like, you know, how you incorporate that into every day life is that is that mostly with your work or how do you in your day-to-day existence how do you incorporate that kind of movement and philosophy i guess into what you do i think if we sort of understand the human existence in a futuristic uh paradigm uh also a past paradigm in that uh time not being linear we're able to realize that a we're all human beings uh b we're all made up of the same sort of space dust uh c that the this planet and this existence is just one of many journeys that a soul or an idea can take and so when i apply it to my everyday life uh it's the way that i interact with people uh, so if I imagine meeting you in 3005, what would I want that conversation to look like? Uh, if I had an Elon Musk kind of <laughs> budget, uh, how would I apply that to my community? Uh, if uh, I'm speaking to someone, what words am I using? Am I using words that are bringing them down or am I interacting with them with language that progresses their future, that allows us to live uh, more harmoniously in the future? It's a very, I I think it's a very, I mean, the future aspect of it paints out itself, but I think it's a very young generational type of philosophy right it's quite beautiful in that respect you know it's not something that you've heard before and it's very rare these days that people start to conjure up new ways of thinking or new ways of thought it, i mean it's not something where we, we're used to going to university and reading kind of history annals right, right? but this right. is creating it yourself in, in a way a philosophy absolutely and i believe that art already does that um i believe that all art it allows for an expression of an idea that can't necessarily be contained or solidified Mm. in a physical presence. And so uh, what I love about spoken word is that a lot of poems offer solutions to the ills of humanity and begs us, how are we going to move forward? What can we do as human beings with interacting with each other, with the environment, with the sphere around us in order for us to live in a better place altogether. I like it. Now, look, the next song you got on is um, Andre 3000, Prototype. I mean, it's got a future reference to it, I guess. That's right. Why have you brought this song on there? So Andre 3000 is uh, one of those artists that a lot of people look to when they talk about contemporary Afrofuturists. And uh, if you listen to the track uh, and perhaps watch the video if you get a chance, it's a, a beautiful love story between him and an alien species. So uh, I, I, re- I become really inspired uh, by it. Uh, the visuals are beautiful, but also the song has a sort of uh, spacey, ethereal kind of vibe. And uh, I, hope, I hope you all enjoy it.
Where we recording just then? Let me hear that the first one I first heard. This is Out of the Box on FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus, and my guest today is Canadian multimedia artist and poet Ian Kateku. Now, you're also a musician. I mean, for many people, I guess, going from being a spoken word poet into making some kind of hip-hop or any kind of music, really, is a pretty easy leap. But, I mean, when did you make that leap? Did it come first or second? It's always been kind of uh, symbiotic in Mm. in the sense that... uh, I started off my artistic career as a battle rapper, uh, wow. so so I'd go to these like dungeons and uh, and battle rap against people. And you know, spoken word slam poetry, yeah. the competition of spoken word is kind of like a battle rap, but a bit more positive. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and so I made I made that transition. And while I was uh, doing battle rap, I was also uh, making music as well. And I feel as though when we look at poetry and we look at spoken word, we're also thinking about the sounds that the words make, mm-hmm. the voices of the artist that's performing them, uh, the tones and inf- uh, vocal inflections that create a message or a meaning. And so I think the relationship between poetry and music is a very natural one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can hear a sonata or a symphony and really feel that it's completely poetic. You can see a dance and feel that it's poetic. And so when I work with music, and uh, you know, I've been blessed to work with a number of uh, really talented and esteemed musicians from all over the world, and the collaboration process is one in which the music attempts to complement the poetry. The poetry attempts to complement the music in a sort of uh, marriage. And I feel like in the language of poetry, sometimes words are just not enough. Sometimes there's tones and chords and vibes that really tell a story that words just don't have the vocabulary for. For sure. And in in 2015, you released um, the song uh, Lumumba. Is that right, Lumumba? That's right, Lumumba, Lumumba, yes. Lumumba. And um, with that, you had an accompanying video. And in the description of that, you wrote that it was basically about the proverbial battle between the system and the revolution. Right. And the, like, struggle kind of continuing on. And I guess there's a lot of thought-provoking lyricism in, in that and throughout that. But can you expand for us a little bit more about that track? And then, I, and then I think we should play it so we can kind of get an idea of what your thinking is in that. Sounds good. So uh, Patrice Patrice Lumumba uh, was a uh, uh, African leader uh, of the uh, Congo. And uh, the story is that he got assassinated by the CIA. And, you know, this is a, a story that we hear time and time again, of leaders from around the world being uprooted by Western governments. And I feel like that's a metaphor for uh, a contemporary issue that's going on, the ideas of people of color, the thoughts and and hearts of artists and leaders uh, of people of color are being uprooted and attempted to being 
uh, quashed and stomped to the ground by uh, a systemic power. Uh, we see it right now happening with the uh, National Football League, uh, American Football League, where artists are sorry, athletes are taking a knee during the national anthem and uh, the president of the United States and uh, those that associate with him are attempting to silence uh, that protest. And we've seen that silencing happening so, so often. And I think spoken word poetry is against that kind of silencing, using your voice mm. uh, to speak up and about out against these things. And so this track uh, attempts to do that. It's almost a stream of consciousness raising different issues that I personally have faced with, but also the lineage of people of color uh, in North America and uh, sort of ties into my hip hop roots uh, in terms of the flow, style and cadence. But in the content, uh, sort of being inspired by Lumumba that even if they try and silence you, uh, it is your job. I believe it is the artist's job to speak up and to speak out and uh, to be a voice against uh, systemic injustice. Well, let's whack it on. Yeah, they told you you were less than, less than after they put God in the ballot box. Got us counting which stripes the zebra had more of Black or white, the dark continent Not because of skin color But because of how many shadows have come to pay rent The last king of Scotland don't live here no more Love don't live here no more Just these blinking sterile eyes Staring at Madagascar's left on our arms The battle between freedom and being dumb free They stole our mummies Place them in museums Like our mothers don't deserve to be home Like dead bodies are worth the price of admission This water tastes like drought Feels like famine Libation for those gone Liberation for those still here We have metal in our brains Must be the reason we still here Just look at what they did to the Moomba Just look at what they did to Nkrumah Look at what they did to Kevada hey, hey. Just look at what they did to Asada hey. Turning us all into martyrs hey. Just look at what they did to Lumumba Bin Laden starring Francis Bacon Weird I figured they failed to notice all the mermaids in the sky We are Ariel Buried on cloud nine Did you show him the golden medallion on your arm? I bet he saw it as indulgent I bet he saw something shiny Not the witch on your arm The wrist watches charm It happens by accident all the time I once saw a Christ at a crosswalk I could be wrong It was probably just Babylon dressed as Santa Whatever, I'm over it Protect your neck, fix your back We've become slaves to a paradox Brothers shooting brothers for a paradox Bleeding hearts gonna need another paradox We will never submit until we reach the summit Just look at what they did to Lumumba Our homes are enablers, our addicts are addicts I'm just 
being frank with ya I remember the time when every white person thought it was cool to say nigga around me And I didn't do a thing But now, now watch the ninja come out like a gay Bruce Lee This is not a poem, this is a riot in a trench coat A revolution on bath salts, a call to action figures And have everyone moving like a Bollywood dance I hate dreams, that's why I love catching them This is the remix, heartbroken English Say wallahi, say it ain't so Say I can't believe it's my brother Just look at what they did to Lamomba. Look at what they did to Nkrumah Turning us all into Mata My guest today is Canadian multimedia artist and poet Ian Kateku. Now, you do a lot of talks and, you know, obviously spoken word is such a big part of your life. And so it's no surprise that words themselves are very important to you. But something that you said that really interested me um, in one of your talks I saw online was that you said we use words to influence our actions. Mm -hmm. And I mean, can you explain to us exactly what you mean by that? Yeah, we... We always say, uh, think before you speak, mm-hmm. uh, and thinking being the precursor to our actions. And I want to take it maybe a step further, also backwards, in that when we think to ourselves in our brains, we use words. Mm-hmm. When we say, when we want to cre- make a great sandwich, uh, I heard uh, Vegemite's really, really, really popular <laughs> down here. It is. We love it. Yeah, we you like it. it? I can't get enough of it. Right. Love it. Right. Yeah. So let's say you you want to make it's t- uh, it's uh, it's Friday morning and you and you want to make a beautiful Vegemite sandwich. You 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 wake up and you say in your head first. You do. I'm gonna make this Vegemite <laughs> sandwich, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. I also reference uh, some religious text in that uh, they say, God said, let there be light. It's not God tweeted or God put a Facebook status, mm-hmm. let there be light. Uh, God said. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to be religious to find the meaning behind that in that words have power. Words yeah. have incredible power. And I believe that words are our precursor to thinking and therefore the bef- the precursor to action mm-hmm. so i'm going to make a uh, you tell yourself i'm going to make a sandwich okay think about the sandwich what you're going to put on it what do you put on your vegemite sandwich i usually just go butter and vegemite just straight up yeah, just easy straight up. Basic. Yeah, yeah. sometimes i do a bit of avocado as oh well. yeah that which is delicious nice. have, you, have you have you tried that no so I, you know what i think if you haven't tried vegemite before have you tried it before I think maybe once or twice. Yeah. If you ha- if you hadn't though, and yeah. you want to try it in a way that is 
actually quite nice and more palatable right. than other forms. I think, yeah, having putting that down as a base and then avo on top of it. Yeah, a little bit of butter. No butter. Just, okay. Just seriously. Avocado just, Vegemite. Yeah, because the, the avocado is almost like the butter in the way, you know? Vegicado like, sandwich. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Exactly. All but right. anyway, anyway, before yes. getting too distracted. Yes. And, and, and so, you know, when we're talking about uh, social society and how we can use words as a catalyst for action and activism, this is where I like to look in that you have to think it first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Perhaps you have to say it first. And then we can move into the action. And so a lot of times we look at activism and we say, oh, these people are just talking. Uh, These people just have weird ideas. Uh, It's just words that they're saying. But I believe that once you speak it into existence, it it gets further along the block of actually becoming a reality. And uh, I believe in the power of words so, so beautifully. Obviously, you know, we're here on the radio and uh, a bunch of people are listening in and tuning in. And they are hopefully uh, inspired by the music, inspired by the conversations that you have on, on this program. And, and that's words, you know? Yeah. And uh, that's something that, human beings have been able to do for a while and i think that we have undermined uh the power of words and the way that we even talk to each other we've sort of reduced a lot of our emotions to emojis or abbreviations uh which is completely fine but you know part of my job i think is to encourage and implore people to really think about what they're saying and how they interact with people and what words they're using and what effect that has on the society around them we can never have too many words i don't think <laughs> <laughs> yes. now look uh moving on to the the music from here the next song you got for us is an artist that we hear not like it's actually on been on this show quite a lot it's a tribe called red bom, what bom, song bom. have you, you chosen by them is it sila that's right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so uh, it's also featuring Tanya Tagak, uh, who's an amazing throat singer, Aboriginal throat singer from Canada, Tribe Called Red, also a wonderful Aboriginal group from uh, Canada. And uh, they have also a, a wonderful relationship with spoken word poetry. They uh, work a mm. lot with poets. They have a great track with Saul Williams. And I think that it's so beautiful how they've been able to use music and words to highlight some of the issues that are going on in the indigenous community in Canada and really put a spotlight on the culture and the community and really wake the world up uh, in a fun and exciting way uh, to uh, what's going on there in Canada. If you ever get a chance to go to one of their shows, if they ever come down here, uh, it's a riot. Uh, dancers, DJs, uh, it's a big party and uh, good, good times for sure. Shout out to Tribe Call Red.
This is Out of the Box on FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest on the show today is Canadian multimedia artist and poet Ian Katiku, who is out here for the Poetry Slam that's happening this weekend in Sydney, the Australian Poetry Slam, that is. You're actually going to be there. You're performing not as part of the actual slam itself, but you're just as a special guest, right? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, doing a, a number of... Uh showcases uh, throughout the weekend and uh, I'm really excited uh, it's my first time in Australia and in fact just landed a few hours ago and a few hours ago yeah that's I wasn't right. told that yeah yeah that's yeah. Amazing. yeah yeah <laughs> but, and uh, uh, it's really exciting a uh, beautiful beautiful country I've heard so much uh, wonderful things and uh, yeah part of that is uh, doing showcases uh, I'm most excited to take in uh, the Australian poetry scene and nice. really uh, find hopefully some friends in uh, the Australian poetry uh, slam scene uh, but I also get an opportunity to do uh, a couple workshops well, if you want to go check any of those workshops out or Ian, you can uh, head online and check those out. I'll chuck up a link on our Facebook site after this. But look, moving on to some of the more like the work you do back home, you, you do a lot of workshops and um, poetry writing performance for various um, kind of youth groups and for various community groups. I mean, what was it that first kicked you off into that realm? You know, when people think about poetry, uh, they think of this sort of antiquated... Robert Frost, Shakespeare, and no shade on those dudes, you know, uh, great poets. Uh, but young people and uh, people alive today, a lot of them don't really vibe with poetry. Uh, perhaps they feel like they don't understand it mm -hmm. or they don't uh, realize that in our everyday lives, we're engaging in kind of poetics already. Every Facebook status that you write, every email that you write, uh, the the Valentine's Day card that you write for your partner. All of that, you choose your words, right? You choose them carefully. You choose what order they go in. Uh, perhaps you add some special words or some moments. And all of these things use poetic devices. Our favorite music and the tunes that we listen to all use poetic devices. And so when young people and different community groups sometimes they feel as though they don't have a voice mm. and that their story has been silenced and they don't really know how to say what they want to say. And so my goal in the workshops is to get that story out of you, to show every person that your story is of value, that your voice has meaning, and that it's important to, for it to be heard. So, And there's tools that we can use in order to present that to an audience or your friends or your loved one in an entertaining and effective way. And how exactly do you, like, I guess, run these workshops? The workshops are catered based on vibe, based on uh, who's in the room, uh, based on the experience of, of the poets. I try and make each workshop a little different. Mm -hmm. I try and, you know, in North America, uh, public speaking is the number one fear in, in, in North America. That's understandable, I reckon. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, people are uh, scared of judgment. People are scared mm. of uh, speaking a truth. And even more so if it's coming from your own heart. Yeah. I can imagine how uh, terrifying that would totally. be. I, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm always scared every time I, I go on stage as well. Uh, Seinfeld has a joke. He says, if... Public speaking is the number one fear in North America. And in fact, death is the second fear. 
<laughs> that means that at a funeral, people would Whoa. rather be in the casket than reading the eulogy. <laughs> that is so good. <laughs> so the point is to oh. uh, get over um, ourselves, perhaps uh, tackle that fear, perhaps mm. uh, come face to face with that obstacle and realize that the story is in public service. Mm. If you're talking about something from yourself, if it's mental health, if it's uh, race-related, if it's political, uh, or if it's just a story about how you lost your shoe one day. There's someone out there who's going to be able to relate. There's someone out there who needed to hear that story. Mm. And so that's the point of the workshops is to uh, really put emphasis on the value of your voice and how important it is uh, for you to share it. And obviously these workshops, like you're inspiring a lot of these kids, but do you find a lot of inspiration from them too? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. And I feel like I gain more from uh, the workshop attendees than perhaps they gain from me. And, you know, there's no quantifiable way to figure that out. But when I walk away from a workshop, it's such a beautiful thing to see someone who was scared to say something and then by the end of the hour or two are out there speaking their truth. I find it so beautiful when young people are able to get over, not get over, but tackle issues of mental health, uh, address uh, things like Islamophobia or racism. Mm -hmm. uh, these are things that young people go through and we don't hear enough about it. Mm. And I think the powers that be don't hear these stories. And the more stories that we have out there, the more human beings can find empathy and sympathy for other types of people and what other people are going through. Amen to that. That's yes. for sure. Now, look, uh, the next song you brought on for us is Feist, one, two, three, four. Yeah. Why did you choose this song? You know, when I start a workshop, Perhaps people may have seen Spoken Word before or seen it on YouTube, and they're like, there's no way that I can do this. There's no way that I can go up on stage and perform or even write about something that's going on in my life or the world around me. But we just start at the basics, right? You got to crawl before you walk, walk before you run, run before you fly. And I, sure. I like this song, uh, you know, besides the fact that Feist is a, an amazing Canadian artist, uh, it goes one, two, three, four. And I think that's, we just got to start at the start. Nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoever you are, if you're inspired by spoken word, if you're inspired by poetry, just write down your first word and God will and the rest will come. Those teenage hopes who have tears in their eyes 
Listening to Out of the Box and FBO Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest today has been the incredible Canadian multimedia artist and poet Ian Kateku. Now, social issues is something we've been talking about a lot. They're obviously very close to your heart. Um, but what are what are some of the social issues that you're most passionate about at the moment that you're really kind of looking towards working in, towards you know promoting what it may be? You know, sir, it's, it's tough because there's a lot of uh, stuff going on, right? Yeah, like uh, totally. <laughs> the, bee, the bees are dying and that's a that's a horrible thing. True. Uh, the environment is uh, going to crap. Uh, the government and the Illuminati are still uh, are still watching us. Uh, but I think it's important to remember that indigenous lives matter, black lives matter. And it's important for us to really focus on those marginalized groups that aren't being supported in in the way other mainstream uh, groups are and really try and put more education, put more um, financial stability. We're talking about job equity. Uh, We're talking about uh, supporting uh, artists of color. We're talking about being able to address these issues in a substantive way with legislation, with uh, proactive initiatives, uh, and really uh, focusing on trying to, to make these things better, not just in a ideological sense, but in a practical sense as well. I think, um, you know, I, being from, from Africa as well, Africa is always on my heart. Uh, 
there are multinational organizations that are going to Africa and really uprooting resources, cobalt from Zimbabwe, diamonds, uh, South Africa, gold from Ghana, oil, Nigeria. And these are resources that these countries own. But yet at the same time, these uh, multinational corporations uh, are going in, digging up, finding these resources, exporting them, selling them back to the citizens at a higher price. And we don't see the trickle down. We don't see mm. the money going down to uh, people in poverty. And I, I've been to some of these places and it's a dire situation where children have no education. And, you know, let's not even talk about education. We're talking about access to clean drinking water. We're talking about access to drugs to uh, help them live and, and survive. So, there's a lot of issues going on and, you know, it, it's it's tough, right? And I understand how difficult it may be to, oh, I can't give to every NGO or charity or my carbon footprint. It's so hard to watch. But once again, I think it starts with the words, right? What words are you telling yourself in your head? When you wake up, what kind of person do you want to be? When you go to sleep, what kind of person do you want to be? How do we spend each moment interacting with each other and the world in a way that is positive and progressive for the planet and the humans that exist within it? I think that's a perfect place to end it, except for I think instead of playing a song to finish up, you should definitely give us a piece of spoken word. Okay. You okay with that? Yeah, let's do it. For sure. What do you got for us today? Uh, this piece is called Dear Justice. Amazing. Dear Justice, where have you been? I've been searching for you for a very long time and I can't remember the last time I saw your face. Don't you hear them screaming? Young, aboriginal children forced into residential schools with the hopes of gaining an education. Instead, the peace studied their anatomy and taught them not a lesson in physics but in physical abuse justice. In the court of law, we swear on the Bible that swears on you. But where were you when those who swore on the Bible committed genocide and then swore it was you, justice? Why weren't you in Mogadishu when a woman was stoned to death with a baby in her belly? Meanwhile, you find me for jaywalking across the street when across the street there was someone stoned to death with a baby in her belly, justice. You didn't pick an eye seat on that greyhound headed to somewhere, headed to nowhere, headed goes off neck, headed goes on chair, headed going nowhere, and now the killer's in a mental institution. Justice, is that you? Is that you that keeps Mumia behind bars or roofies in the drinks and the cocktails in bars or young African children making us delicious chocolate bars? Justice. Why weren't you in Australia where a man raped his own daughter and his daughter's daughter? Messed up situation where his grandkids are his kids and his kids are the parents of his kids and his kid is his lover. He claims that he loves her, but to his kid and his kid's kid, he's nothing but another mother. Justice, it's sad when they call him great papa or granddad when there's nothing great or grand about him. You say it's sick, I say it's evil. You say inhumane, I say it's people, but justice, you claim that we're all created equal. 
Except for the spawn of this incestuous coward, whose eyes are closer than average, as though to peer into their soul to realize that the innocence was stolen even before they were born, they have a broad forehead, as to perceive the drama beforehand, when they realize that the family tree is dead and has no roots but one rotten fruit justice. You mean to tell me that OJ didn't do it, or that Mike Vick gets six for fighting pits? Come on, justice! I see you want to be like Santa Claus. We all hope for you, but we never see you coming. I see you kind of like Santa Claus. Some old white man try to be you. I see you kind of like Santa Claus. You think you know who's been naughty and nice, but you have no clue, do you, Justice? What are you, Justice? Where are you, Justice? Is justice just or is just is just is? Just isn't what just was or what just is, nah. I'm starting to wonder if there's even justice or if there's just us. Ian Kateker, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks a lot for having me, sir. Really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Now, if you're interested in seeing any of the performances, including Ian, at this weekend's Australian Poetry Slam, just Google Word Travels and that'll get you all the info you need to go check out those shows. Coming up next is Bridie Tanner on lunch, so stick around for that. Big thanks to my producer, Nicole DiPaolo, and uh, I'll be back next week. Ciao.